1: its host are not liable for financial strategies outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion.
2: Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face.
3: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
4: Welcome. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, so weekly and monthly newsletter to learn more about my work and the work of my partners, Chen Lin and Roger Wiegand. Uh, you can go to miningstocks.com, that's M-I-N-I-N-G-S-T-O-C-K-S.com for myself and Chen Lin, and webeatthestreet.com for myself and Roger Wiegand. That's webeatthestreet.com. You can sign up for special trial offers. Uh, call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, at 718 457 1426 718-457-1426. That's to allow you to uh, to try the uh, service to see if it works for you and if it's something that you think will be of, of value to you. Two other websites where I am posting on a daily basis are uh, jtaylormedia.com, that's J A Y TaylorMedia.com, and goldinvestor.com. And also to keep track of companies on my radar screen, companies that may or may not find their way into my newsletter, but companies that I'm taking a serious look at, you can go to jayswatchlist.com. That's J-A-Y-S watchlist.com. I want to thank each of you for listening to our show. We are gratified by the increasing popularity of the show. Uh, we do think we're, we're helping people uh, find their ways through some very difficult and unchartered waters in the financial markets. We've got a lot of good people and good guests to help us along, uh, along that track. And uh, lest I forget, I want to thank our corporate sponsors who make this show financially a, uh, possible. It's, uh, they are Apollo Gold, Bonterra Resources, Hawthorne Gold, Metanor Resources, Pediment Gold, Palangio Explorations, and Sandgold. And while we are on the topic of our sponsors, I just want to bring to uh, your attention a couple of announcements, um, press releases from companies this past week. Sandgold reported, reported its first ever operating profit this year, or this quarter, this last quarter, Uh, and that's from its Rice Lake mine in Manitoba. And Apollo Gold yesterday announced its Q3 earnings, and we are most fortunate to have Dave Russell, he's the president of Apollo Gold, with us today uh, to hopefully comment on the company's earnings and uh, give us an update on where Apollo is headed. Thank you, Dave, so much for coming back on our show.
5: Well, thank you for having me, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here with you again.
4: Well, you just reported a loss of $14 million in Q3, and... If not if i 'm not mistaken, something like that was a ten maybe ten point two million of that was a paper loss that was related to derivative contracts, which, in my way of thinking, what really matters is cash flow and on that score you 're doing quite quite well you 're improving your your operating cash flows are improving um, obviously, Apollo though is not in business to lose money, and uh, I would like to remind listeners that Apollo Gold is a new company, and i don 't know how many new companies come out of the gate and show profits right right away to start with, so frankly. I, I certainly wasn't expecting profits necessarily uh, at the beginning. Although uh, I do have high hopes for Apollo Gold, which is one of the reasons it is one of my favorite stocks in my newsletter. Uh, so, the question: uh, despite your losses, you have had some good news from your Black Fox mines. Would you care to talk about the operations sure, of your company? Sure how would've... many? How much gold are you producing? What is it costing you to produce it? That's sort okay, of... Right now, uh,
5: we're producing, you know, we'll say on a quarterly basis, about twenty-one to twenty-three thousand ounces. And going into 2010, each quarter, they can expect the same or better. Now, the cash cost was a little bit high. You know, it was in the mid-500 range uh, this last quarter. We were in the low 400 to the first month of operation. But we're just coming into uh, full production. We've got the mill ramped now to 2,000 metric tons a day. And we're looking for those cost savings areas to actually get ourselves balanced out. We're projecting that in fourth quarter, we're going to do a bit better. We'll be in the low 500s or upper 400s. And then going into 2010, we'll actually get it under 400 and hopefully in the 380 range to where we belong. But that's all a, a, really an operational learning curve as you bring a mine into full production. So real, in reality, what we announced is the third quarter, which is our first full quarter of production. We did lose money on the bottom line, but a good portion of that is spot deferred accounting. And it's a, it's a hedging accounting that you got to account for losses, not on gold you sold, but paper losses on the total amount of gold, the difference between the spot price and the current price of gold. Now, it can go the other way, too, is that you may have a paper gain in the future if gold price comes back because now the spot deferred is marked higher than it was before. So we've got to deal with that, but you you, you hit that right on the uh, nail head, is that it's the cash flow that you're developing, and we are cash flow positive in the company, and that's due to Black Fox coming online and doing fairly well now.
4: Okay, Dave, uh, just one technical issue. Are you uh, possibly on a speakerphone, and if possible, could you switch on to, a, uh, to another device? I'm just asking if it's possible. If it's not, we can continue on, but for the sake of good... Uh, okay, I switched over. There okay, it. good. That's, that's probably better. Okay, excellent. Well, your uh, average grades are something like four grams, I think. I read this last uh, in Q3. Uh, what are you expecting going forward?
5: Hey, going forward, um, let's project into 2010. We're going to project roughly 100 to 120,000 ounces of production. The mill throughput will be about 2,000 metric tons. And we're going to project between, say, 3.8 and 4.2 grams, or maybe an average of 4 from the open pit. But the production profile, what it will look like is we'll start the underground in the development stages in the first quarter. Uh,
4: Dave, can I ask you to speak up just a little bit? We're having, Now we're uh, having trouble hearing It isn't coming through very loud. Okay, sorry about that. I'll
5: yeah. here, and you know, our production profile will be coming both from open pit and underground, and we're going to ramp the underground from 100 metric tons to 750 metric tons by year's end 2010. So what we will have is a production profile at the year, end of year of 750 metric tons from the underground, 1,250 from the open pit. The open pit will be 4 grams. The underground will be 8.8 It'll net out at about 5 grams with mixed production profiles for between an average of 100,000 ounces of production up to 120,000 ounces of production. Mm -hmm. The differential will be in grade and where the ore comes from. So that's what we're, we're actually telling the market as we go forward for the Black Fox mine.
4: Uh, how much you you have, um, I mean, one of the things that I found exciting about your project there is that it's not just the, block, the Black Fox mine. You do have a lot of exploration potential there. Could you tell us something about that? And then if you could comment also on your recent assays, uh, your recent drill results from the Gray Fox property, and then also, as I understand it, Pike River properties that are, Actually, between the Black Fox and the Gray Fox, could you just give our listeners some sort of a sense of what kind of upside exploration potential do you see ultimately? Is it the goal of Apollo to build a bigger company, bigger than 120,000 ounces a year, or is that looking too far into the future?
5: No, I I think that's, uh, that's a good question for right now. And our main goal right now is to build a bigger company, more production, more ounces on the books, all of the above. And number one is Gray Fox is located uh, 3.5 kilometers to the southeast of Black Fox. We've now got over 40 core holes, which were each week or every couple of weeks, we're actually putting the data to the market. And what it looks like is we've got a north-south structure uh, starting to develop that's heading to Pike River. And we've also got the Pike River uh, structure uh, local. We, we actually located it on the Gray Fox property, and it looks like these two structures are heading to come together about a third of the way into what's called Pike River. Hmm. Now, out of the 40 holes, we've had assays anywhere from, we'll say, 3-gram material, open pit material, up to 455-gram material, which we're pretty excited about because there's some pretty good widths, there's multiple structures, and, you know, it's got all the earmarks of a, a good project to make an open pit as well as underground in mirror what Black Fox is. Now, we did buy the uh, Pike River property. We announced that about a month ago, and we bought that from Newmont Mining Company.
6: Mm-hmm. It gives us
5: three and a half kilometers more strike to work with. Now, there is drill data from uh, when Battle Mountain and Hemlo Gold owned that property back in the 1980s. And those holes uh, give us a good database to start with. And so we'll be moving the rigs or telling the market we'll be moving the rigs up there into Pike River in the near term. And we'll start drilling on that property, and we'll tie that in with Gray Fox. But now that's on the southern end to central part of these properties. But the key is, too, Black Fox. Black Fox has strike and dip potential that, that's phenomenal. We've got holes down to 1,000 meters deep, showing 15 to 20 gram gold. Mm. But on the southeast end of the property, our last holes. Uh, that we could not cross the Pike River boundary showed the ore structures are going right into Pike River.
6: Mm. Now that we have
5: that property, we've got really uh, two big areas uh, to tie together, and that's the gray fox going into Pike River on the southeast, as well as the southeast part of black fox going into the northern part of Pike River. So we've really got two trends to look at, you know, and I'd like to think that they all come together, you know, uh, over three and a half kilometers, but we'll see over time. But you know, our goal is to add ounces to the books and add production to the profile here.
4: What are your ounces right now? What is your, your 43-101 resource, if you could tell us? Okay, the, the actual full resource is 2.1 million ounces in the categories.
5: It's 1.33 million ounces split between the open pit and the underground in the reserve category and roughly about 720,000 in the resource category. And the resource is really internal and peripheral to the reserve itself, and it's got a lot of data drill holes. Uh, to support it so it's not high in the sky you know out there resources it's resources that will actually come into reserve over time
4: well it sounds like you've got a lot of exciting uh, exploration and maybe drill results on an ongoing basis is your uh, your exploration program going to be ongoing through the winter Well, it most definitely will be Uh, you know a lot of
5: areas there have some boggy areas that are fairly wet and the best time to drill is when those areas are frozen And we're just going into the uh, freezing months. So, you know, over the last few months, we've drilled about 40 core holes on Gray Fox, and we move into Pike River. We'll keep the drilling program going all winter long here, and uh, we're just hoping
4: for great success on these projects. Uh, Dave, we only have about 30 seconds. You uh, recently um, sold the Montana Tunnels mine. Uh, Is that, uh, could you just comment very briefly on that, perhaps? You know, it, it's time for us to make a, a shift. And we
5: said, okay, we're in the gold business, not in the base metal business. It does have a gold credit, but it's better to sell the property to our partner, our 50%. It's a $9 million transaction of which $5 million is in cash. The whole transaction will be
4: paid. Okay, Dave. Well, thank you. We're out of time now. Uh, folks, we're going to be uh, – thank you, David. And I hope we'll have you back very soon again to, to comment some more on this exciting company. Uh, folks, we're having a great year this year. We're up 69%, but we're very concerned about a lot of different things. We remember 2007, we were very, very bullish. In 2008, we were very, very bullish. And then we held on to our inflation play too long, and we got smacked really hard in the last at the last part of 2008. We don't want that to happen again, so we're talking to a couple of people here today. Uh, Kevin Duffy and Bill Lagner, our special guests there with Bearing Asset Management, they managed. To avoid those that punishment last year in the markets. In fact, they earned a big profit. We're going to have them back after the break to tell us how they did it and what they're seeing going forward. Don't go away, but we'll be right back.
3: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters.
1: Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of pipe, river with gold prices near an all-time high investors should consider apollo gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company well positioned to take advantage of a full gold market apollo gold trades on the new york stock exchange under the ticker symbol agt and on the toronto stock exchange under the ticker symbol apg visit apollo's website at www.apollogold.com apollo gold a golden opportunity for investment When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
2: Welcome to the human race. Some kind of lovely ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride.
3: That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am very pleased this week to have Kevin Duffy and Bill Lagner of the Bering Asset Management team with us. They uh, have managed a hedge fund. Not only have they managed it, but they've made a lot of money at times when others haven't done so well. There's always such limited time here uh, on these shows that I don't want to waste the time talking about uh, their bios, as impressive as they are, but you can, you can read about Kevin and Bill uh, on our uh, Voice America website where their bios are displayed. Uh, but I do need to tell you that the, the Duffy and Lagner team posted a, I think, something like 140% gain last year in 2008, when almost everybody else was losing their posterior ends, Yours, your host included, I might add. And uh, So, Bill and Kevin, really good to have you with us uh, on Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Very nice to be here. Good to be with you, Jay. Yeah, good. Thanks, both of you. Um, Bill, maybe I'll address you first. Uh, maybe you can tell our listeners where... Uh, where people can catch up with your work and uh, how they can keep up with the Bearing Asset management team.
6: Well, we have a website, um, which is B-E-A-R-I-N-G, Uh They can register on the website. We've posted various articles there. They could look at uh, a variety of, of uh, articles from others that we would consider wise men in the industry, and, uh, I need to correct you. We were up a hundred and a little over one hundred and thirty-four percent
4: for two thousand. Oh, 2000. excuse me, sorry. But
6: uh, <laughs> it was a very good year. Had a lot of things go right, but um, uh, the website has a lot of information and, and much more.
4: Great. Okay. Well, I'd like to begin with a question from a long-term subscriber of mine who found out that you guys were were going to be on. Um, uh, he says that. Um, uh, that he'd, he'd really like to know what your views are on the equity markets. Um, you know, he's been hearing me talk about uh, believing that the equity markets are long in the tooth and we're going to have a major decline pretty soon. Uh, probably because Ken's aware of your excellent track record, he's he's interested in knowing what are you guys seeing now, right now. I mean, it's it's nice that you did well last year, but what can you do for us lately? I guess is the question. Okay,
6: Kevin, you want to take that, or would you like? Okay. To make- um,
7: Jay, what we do is we basically look at the, the market through three different lenses, economics, valuation, and sentiment. Um, from a valuation standpoint, uh, looking at, at a broad indicator, such as uh, market total market capitalization to GDP, um, we went down. The, the lows were, uh, or the high back in, in, uh, at the tech bubble was about 175%. Mm. Uh, the high during the credit bubble was about 135%. Um, the low, the low was around 60, 65% back in March, and we're back up around 100% right now. Mm. Uh, historically, that's—I uh, mean, it's higher than it was in 1929, for example. I think uh, back then it was about 80%. So valuation-wise, uh, we're we're stretched. Uh, sentiment-wise, uh, the, the work—I I do a fair amount of work there. Um, and uh, to, to make a long story short, sentiment indicators are showing a lot of optimism levels that we haven't seen since uh, really early to uh, spring of last year, and then at the top of the credit bubble in 2007. And then finally, uh, economically, we just think uh, all this stimulus is, is stimulating, stimulating the uh, the parasite and it's sapping the, the host. So it's really a, a course of economic suicide. Add those things up and i think you have your answer
4: oh, i see i uh, certainly do but uh, you did mention that you had an even more value uh, overvaluation at the peak of the tech bubble so i guess it's always possible that we could see uh, substantially higher prices as, as over as overvalued as they may already be
7: I, you know you can't rule out anything <laughs> yeah it's uh... it's hard for us to believe we've already had uh... the mother of all stock market bubbles Followed by uh, the mother of all credit bubbles, so it's just hard for us to believe that that we can go uh, anywhere near and in, in this if you want to call this a bubble uh, and uh, it's hard for us to believe that uh, the valuations would go anywhere near those levels and that we'd have the the level of insanity that that, you know, that we had back then
4: well, uh, how do you define a bubble? Do you have a definition for a bubble
7: uh, a bubble I think uh, Bob Prechter defined this a uh, long time ago, and uh, uh, he defined it, uh, he said you had to have four things. One was a parabolic rise in prices, and I'll see if I remember all four of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, parabolic rise in prices, um, you, uh, you had uh, basically the, the public, public participation, you have valuations that detach from reality, and then you have rationalizations for why the, the boom will continue those four those four elements
4: and I saw somebody I can't remember who it was earlier today talking about uh, if if the real economy isn't growing uh, and you have money pumped into the system and you see asset prices rising without uh, without a demand for them from the real economy that that is a sign of a bubble yeah, well.
6: I, I, I think you're seeing a lot of that and and really you know what what's driving it is this whole idea that institutions, the big ones anyway, are too big to fail. I mean, we are, you know, 15, 17 months behind the Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers uh, implosions. And uh, we had an opportunity as a country to try and uh, implement some kind of reform, take the the insolvent institutions into some type of receivership, wind them down, uh, at the same time maybe create some new institutions with uh, different parameters, but We've just essentially added leverage on top of existing leverage. So the professional speculator community with zero percent money from the Fed has seen no deleveraging. They've actually had a releveraging on top of, you know, their, their existing facade. And then the consumer, of course, the real economy, as, as Kevin mentioned, is actually contracting. They have no access to credit and, and that part of the world continues to, to, uh, delever by force, actually.
4: Well, in 1980, we saw our monetary and fiscal policy uh, in the 1970s, let's say, and up through 1980, we saw our monetary and fiscal policies create a great deal of inflation and a lot of problems with the U.S. With the US economy, I guess maybe compared to where we are now. It was tame by comparison. We were still exporting. We were still producing a lot. Our manufacturing base was fairly strong compared to to where it was now, but we started having an inflation problem. And the bond vigilantes took over uh, at some point, point. they said they sort of boycotted the Treasury markets, and and all of a sudden interest rates started to rise. Uh, you know, my first mortgage was a 17.5% mortgage here in Queens, New York, and um, on the other hand, we don't see any bond vigilantes. And uh, one, one uh, guest that we had on our show recently, Rob Kirby, is suggesting that the Fed can and perhaps continue to buy it just they can just monetize this debt forever and ever and maybe end up owning all of the debt and keep long term interest rates pushed down forever we're seeing we're seeing rates pushed down forever such that there's no real reason for anybody to save money these days. in fact, you're penalized if you save money as my good friend Chen Lin was saying that's why he's so optimistic about uh, about asset inflation continuing to rise there's, that you're penalized if you put the money in the bank, you save you're penalized. Do you guys see the possibility of of, a, of an endless Fed monetization of debt, keeping interest rates low, keeping the parasites alive, and, and eating the fiber of the economy forever, and then the Fed ending up one day with owning all of the U.S. debt?
6: Well, uh, let, let me say that, let's face it, the Fed's activities over the last year and a half have been uh, Incredible. I mean, the Fed's balance sheet, 800 and some odd billion in assets uh, several years ago to roughly $2 trillion. Today, the makeup of the assets, obviously, uh, God only knows because we really can't get any transparency, but it's mainly structured finance is what they're holding. Um, does the Fed's balance sheet go from $2 trillion to $15 trillion, which You know, if you think about the magnitude of private sector debt that was created over the last cycle and how much of it they would actually have to try and quote-unquote monetize to keep uh, nominal asset prices from from collapsing, I think it would be a number that large. I think you'd have to have at least another $10 trillion of monetization. Do I think that happens? I think it's highly unlikely. I think if they go down that road, they destroy themselves, um, the dollar you know, basically goes to nothing, and the Fed's existence uh, is uh, part of the history book. So, um, you know, they're trying to walk this fine line of bailing out their friends in high places. I think everyone knows who the survivors uh, are at this stage. You know, it's J.P. Morgan, it's Goldman Sachs, it's it's uh, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo. They're the ones that received most of the benefits during the uh, the meltdown last year, and of course, Merrill Lynch and Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, and several others were on the short end of the stick. So uh, I think going forward, um, we're, we're probably going to see uh, the Fed's done quite a bit already, right? They've created these mm-hmm. various credit facilities. We've had total credit backstops, guarantees from the federal government, et cetera, of something like 22, 23 trillion. We've spent, you go to stimulus.org, you can see this, we've spent over 3 trillion in, in uh, new dollars at uh, various projects like AIG and, and, and the like. And what have we really generated from all this, Jay? We've had uh, four prior quarters of negative GDP. We had a GDP of 3.5%. I think David Rosenberg was saying the restated number may be something like 3%, which generated $15 in S&P earnings. Well, <laughs> you've got Wall Street calling for $80 in S&P earnings next year. And my response to that is, well, how much more stimulus than are you expecting over mm. the next four quarters? I mean, are we going to spend another six, seven, eight, ten trillion? And if that occurs, then yeah, the Fed is going to be, you know, part of the act, if you will, and uh, and, and 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 participating in this process. But I I would say it's a lower probability event.
4: So you say the Fed has to has to stimulate because you don't see it coming from the private sector. There's no real hope of that anytime soon. Is that well? The that private
6: work? sector is is uh, clearly contracting. The question is again how much of the uh, intervention over the next you know one two three four five six ten quarters will be the government stepping in and just moving private sector debt in, onto the public's balance sheet, and mm-hmm. uh, we have to wait and see. I mean, there are some people calling for several trillion dollars in new monetization some people calling for more but um, I, I think we're on a uh, very treacherous path when when developed world governments run deficits of GDP 12 thirteen 14 15 percent eventually it it causes major major problems with the currency and look let's face it we've seen the dollar go down against uh, most currencies this year and we've seen gold even today hit another high and and so the market is speaking. I mean, the gold market is saying there are serious problems in the paper monetary system around the world.
7: Well, well, the gold market is speaking. The bond market is not speaking yet. And uh, this is part of the, this kind of bubble mentality that we're, all we're doing is reinforcing that. And so everything is going up. Gold's going up. Stocks are going up. Bonds are going up. People are just buying. They're saying, you know, the Fed is monetizing all this. Uh, let's buy now. And we'll ask questions later. Well, what the Fed is doing is, is contradictory. I mean, how can they, um, they're inflating on the one hand, and, uh, and they're buying uh, treasuries and they're buying agency paper and that sort of thing. On the, on the other hand, that's it's totally contradictory action. And what, At what point do, uh, do the buyers of these bonds just wake up and realize this is just a giant shell game and, and they've been duped?
4: Yeah, I mean, that's the big question, isn't it? Um, You know, Kirby, Rob Kirby, who we've had on our show, is suggesting, though, that the Fed will continue to buy. Well, it seems as though China and some of these, uh, you know, creditor nations are already complaining about it. They'd like to see higher rates, they'd like to see a more responsible monetary policy here. Rob Kirby is suggesting that, though, and he's a real inflationist, he thinks that the Fed can continue to do what it's doing, uh, you know, owning all of the paper. The dollar continues to drift lower to a point where we start having some serious inflation problems. Do either uh, Kevin or or you Bill see that as a possibility?
6: I mean Jay, it's a possibility I, I mean let's face it the, they've increased the balance sheet by roughly one.2 trillion in the last you know seventeen, eighteen months. Again, can we go to four five seven eight trillion? It's possible I mean it's possible I again we, we've got uh, total debt. And the flow of funds. I mean, we're north of fifty-four trillion dollars right now. So, how much of that is going to end up on the Fed's balance sheet? I mean, that's really the question that Rob and others are trying to to nail down. I mean, I we can speculate on what the number is going to be, but my guess is that a lot of this malinvestment from the prior cycle ultimately defaults. I mean, we're seeing more and more of it. Um, the commercial real estate wave has just begun and uh you know look there there are I was on the phone with several uh, money managers this morning there's a lot of foreign money looking to buy distressed assets so you know if this this is allowed to unwind and the private sector can come in and and uh try and buy some of these assets we'd much rather see something like that happen than having the fed the fed get involved in the process
4: well there's there's no doubt about that i mean because uh, uh the fed owning everything is a scary proposition well one of the things that I've noticed, uh, you know, is that the is the growth rate of total debt and you said fifty four trillion, I think that's a number close to what I what I'm looking at as well. But the relationship between the growth, the exponential growth of debt almost and the linear growth of income, GDP, if in fact it's growing at all right now, that's debatable, I think. It just seems that you don't need to be a rocket scientist to realize this can't go on forever uh from a macro scale as well as, as you know, from a from a from an individual family's um, perspective, but we've had a number of people in this show who are real deflationists. Ian Gordon is one. Uh, Robert Practer has been on our show. Uh, Mitch, um, various people that we've had on are real. Uh, Bob Hoy, I think, is more more or less on balance a deflationist. So, you uh, the two of you did very well. I guess you could say betting the deflation side of things last year. Um, what are you doing now?
7: Yeah, that's. Uh... We're, we're kind of walking a, a fine line. I mean, we're both uh, in the inflation camp and the deflation camp. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that makes us sound like uh, like a politician, but, um, you know, it was to us it was a fairly easy call uh, last year that when the crunch came it would be uh, just uh, devastating to credit and that you'd have uh, kind of a classic meltdown and, and everything would go down. Um, and this time... I think we expect uh, a, a similar contraction, but it won't be the same. It will be more inflationary, and you're not going to see bonds being the safe haven. I mean, they've already had their run, and you'll probably see gold be more of a safe haven as opposed to um, December of, of last year where, um, where money just poured into, the, uh, into Treasuries and, and out of actually left gold. Um, we don't think we think gold is more the safe haven this time.
4: So you're uh, so you're very very bullish on gold at this moment. Um, what do you do you guys have price targets for gold?
7: Well, we're bullish. We're really bullish on gold versus the S and um, I mean, we're not making and and we're just saying long term uh, the the currency. I mean, it's not just the U S. currency, but uh, but all currencies, all fiat currencies are going going to zero, um, but there may be a lot of twists and turns along the way. We, What we're really looking at, and, and probably the biggest bet that we're making, is gold versus the S&P 500. Right now, it's a little bit over one times. Uh, back in the fourth quarter of last year, I believe it got up to 1.35, 1.4 times. Uh, back in at the tech bubble, it was about 0.2 times. So we've already... We've already made a big run, but we think that's going to uh, two, three, four, maybe five times um, the S&P 500. So um, we, we couldn't, I mean, what's the, what is gold going to? Is it going to 3,000? Is it going to 300,000? I, uh, I have no idea, but, um, but in terms of, of the S&P 500 on a relative basis, we just think that gold has to go higher from here.
4: Well, I know i've I've looked at gold relative to the s two the uh, to the Dow, and we've seen it hit a one to one relationship at the true bear market bottoms over the last hundred years. I think it happened a few times. Um, certainly, in my view, it's the more important question is not where is gold going in nominal terms because you're using a yardstick that doesn't make any sense, that being the dollar, rather to ask, uh, what will an ounce of gold buy? And one of the things that Bob, one of the insights that Bob Hoy has provided is that uh, during the deflationary periods of time, when the credit markets contract, the price of gold, the, the, uh, the purchasing power of gold, the real value of gold goes up very substantially. And we saw that last uh, last autumn, in fact, um, when a, an ounce of gold would buy a lot more oil and a lot more copper and a lot more of the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. So I, I think that um, that's that's certainly one insight that that I would look for is, uh, you know, is what will announce a gold buy, and that really, um, when the, when the value of gold goes up in terms of its purchasing power, it really is very bullish for um, for gold mining. Are you? Uh, do you guys? Uh, does the Bearing Fund invest in gold mining shares?
6: Yeah, we own a number of miners, and uh, no question, the miners right now are doing well. I mean, let's face it, the uh, there was a spike in their cash costs when oil was running over a hundred dollars. Oils come down, it's rebounded off the lows, obviously, but margins uh, look better for the gold companies and gold. Of course, gold price being up again today, that's going to help the miners. And uh, you know, it's a little frustrating that we haven't seen some of the gold miners take out the majors anyway, take out the highs from a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. But let's uh, face it, it's a difficult business. But uh, no, gold miners is. Definitely a component on the long side of the portfolio.
4: Yeah, certainly we're we're seeing, of course, uh, energy prices going up too again. You know, with the reflation trade that we've seen uh, since March or so, um, and and labor. Uh, I don't know about labor, but labor we had uh, when the base metal mine shut down. The labor became plentiful in some of the gold mining companies I'm I'm familiar with that I that I follow. We're very, very pleased about that because suddenly they, they were having a hard time finding good good uh, underground workers, especially, and all of a sudden they became available once that happened. So it seems to be, it certainly was true during the 1930s, that gold was a savior, a portfolio savior, and we looked at homestake mining, a 15% allocation of homestake, and 85% to the Dow, you would have avoided losing money through most of the 1930s. so uh do you uh so what criteria do you look for in in gold mining shares when you you're when you're investing in them what are you looking for? are you looking for that valuation that Kevin talked about earlier?
6: yeah, I think we're trying to find uh good operators i think uh several years ago when capital was flowing into just about everything we had many companies get funded that may not have may should not have been funded at the time um you know, it's easy money sometimes. Just look at the tech bubble. It creates a lot of business plans that probably should never be funded. Uh, I think we've gone through uh, the credit contractionary way for the gold miners, and the uh, survivors are getting stronger. They're buying up some of the smaller uh, explorers. They're uh, enhancing their own margins. I think when you look around the world, governments have been relatively, relatively now friendly to the gold companies. We haven't seen too many uh, uh, Chavez-type uh, moves when they've nationalized mines. So for the most part, I think the gold operating environment now is is uh, very favorable. In um, fact, last fall when the gold miners got caught up in the uh, kind of the forced deleveraging of the professional speculator community, we were able to buy a lot of these companies that. And discounts of maybe sixty or seventy percent of where they are today, in some cases eighty percent depending upon the gold company so um you know smaller sector volatile we just you have to be prepared and look for the opportunities to buy some of the better operators but um I think going back to a, a point Kevin was making earlier when we were talking about the uh the, the difference between the real economy and the um uh, the um Political economy. Mm -hmm. Really, what we're seeing today—I mean, you've, you've got wages; wages are declining in America at the fastest pace in almost 50 years. You've got bank credit contracting at the fastest pace in 40 years. So, the deflationists are probably focused on those particular areas. If you look at where where is this easy money from the Fed going? The easy money from the Fed is going to the professional speculator who. In turn, takes that money, he doesn't loan it, and he speculates with it. And one of the things that's concerning to us is kind of this massive run up now that we've had in a variety of commodities. And the sugar price is up 100%. You know, you look at a lot of other commodities, coal's up big this year. Um, there are speculators in a variety of commodities right now. The markets are getting frothy. Uh, Kevin can probably talk a little bit about sentiment, but I think that's. That's kind of the key focal point for us is, you know, this dollar carry trade going on. A lot of people think it could last for several years. The Fed's on hold for several years and mm-hmm. just emboldens the speculator.
4: Mm-hmm. And do you see the, those commodity prices that are rising? Of course, as they rise, they squeeze the middle class. They squeeze the working class. Do you see those those rises occurring because of this hot money that's pumped into the system? Is that it?
6: Yeah, I think that's where the money is going this this time. I mean, you had the tech bubble, which Kevin mentioned, and you had a credit bubble, and now I think this is, it's kind of a, a handful of players, too. It's not like this is a, a widespread phenomenon. It's the uh, remaining large hedge funds, the investment banks, banks, they're all able to get access to this cheap money and speculate with it. And, uh, you know, at some point, I think the realization that, We don't have, nor could we have, a sustainable economic recovery based on the reaction by the uh, central planners after Lehman last year. And I think once that realization sets in, you can have a lot of these people try and head for the exits at one time.
4: Okay. We only have about a minute left or so. I would like to ask you, uh, I know that you both, uh, that you did very well by shorting the markets in 2008. Shorting is a difficult task for small investors, uh, for common folks would like to ask you if you have any uh, any sort of advice for for people that maybe don't have enough money to um, uh, to invest in a fund like yours. Uh, what can common average people they should start with owning gold to uh, keep out of debt, or what are your, what is your advice,
7: Kevin? You want to take that? Yeah, uh, it, it's it's difficult. Um, it's certainly uh, you know for what we do, uh, it's very difficult to just say you know here go go ahead and, and do it. Um, and here are a list of things that you need to do because it's constantly changing. So, um, yeah, I think uh, you know, own some gold. Uh, just uh, be be very be, be very skeptical about uh, this this recovery that's going on right now, and just uh, try to live with, you know within your means and uh, and do whatever you can to protect yourself. I, I think um, you know, as far as as uh, investing in bear funds, uh, they're very dangerous, especially the uh, twice-leveraged funds, so there are really no easy ways to, to play the downside.
4: Well, I thank you. Uh, sometimes uh, it's better to be aware of the, that there are dangers with some of the ETFs, for example, which I wish we had time to get into that and ask you more about that. Unfortunately, we... We are out of time, uh, and the reason I say that is because I've recommended uh, an ETF to my own subscribers, and we've talked about it on this show, but maybe I'll, I'll get your, uh, pick your brains on that uh, aside uh, aside from this show sometime, but I would like to ask you just again if you could give us your website again so people can learn more about your work.
6: Uh, Jake, com.
4: Well, thank you both for so much for coming on to the show and and helping our listeners uh, understand uh, these difficult markets. Thank you so much, and I hope to have you on again sometime. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Folks are going to be right back with a wrap-up with Chen Lin and Roger Wiegand. Don't go away.
3: Know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters.
1: Apollo Gold is a gold producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of pipe river with gold prices near an all-time high investors should consider apollo gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company well positioned to take advantage of a full gold market apollo gold trades on the new york stock exchange under the ticker symbol agt and on the toronto stock exchange under the ticker symbol apg visit apollo's website at www.apollogold.com apollo gold a golden opportunity for investment Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just the love.
3: That's questions, the number four, taylor, at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. This is the wrap-up for today's show. Well, my belief is that we are still um, still in this last leg up of a correction of the initial leg down, that is the post Lehman Brothers decline that took the market down so sharply uh, and bottoming in March, that, but that we are very near the end of this, uh, of this correction. Um, I am a firm believer in the work of Dr. Robert McHugh and also uh, uh, Roger Wiegand, who will be commenting briefly in just a few moments. Uh, Dr. McHugh warned in his missive yesterday, he said, and I quote, even if this final leg up chooses to impress and not top soon, it is a trap. So he's warning his subscribers to be very cautious and not to uh to jump into this market uh completely, of course they as they say that uh, bull markets uh climb a wall of worry, so wondering am I worrying too much perhaps or but you know after last fall, what happened? I want to be cautious. I don't want to see fifty two percent of my model portfolio disappear in a matter of three months or so as it did last year. So I think the the uh the warnings of Kevin Duffy to live within your means, be cautious, buy some gold. Uh, build some cash. Those are all good things to do, I think. Uh and um that's what we're telling our, our subscribers and that's what I think listeners should should think about as well. So I have Chen Lin and Roger Wiegan with me here uh, for their comments on this week's uh on the, on this week's markets and also uh Chen was listening in on the Apollo Gold discussion. Uh, Chen do you have anything to add?
8: Yeah I uh, I got a pretty positive em- amount of uh you know, Dave. Uh, I've been to Apollo Mine. Actually, went down to the underground. They have mm-hmm. all these underground structure already ready to work. Okay, mm-hmm. so so uh, start digging out uh, the high grade from underground is not a difficult task. Uh, the uh, the things I'm, I think I got is uh, uh, this all this quarter. You know, load result was you know on the paper is disappointing because the paper loss, uh, but it, it's well expected if you know the previous PR, you know they're gray, you know they're male production, Uh, it's a result you should have expecting, okay, if you do your own homework, you calculate this result, you should expect this result, so what I see is um, there's some selling ahead of the the earning report, so probably professional, they're doing that, and now they're buying back at much lower price, you see the Apollo is rallying strongly in the past few minutes, so it seems to be the news already behind us okay the q4 will be a little bit better because they're improving their mill from 1800 to 2000 the real story will be next year when they have a higher grade coming out
4: yeah indeed so as dave was saying they can get up to 5 grams or so and they're pushing their mill put throughput to 2000 tons now so that should that should really help help the uh, the marginal economics i would think um Quite exactly, and the next uh, Roger, year the
8: hedging part will be less. Uh, proportionally, they hedge less uh, next year than this year.
4: So that's an important part, Chen. And it's one thing I didn't get to ask David: how much uh, production are they hedging now? I think 100 percent of what they sold, they sold at 875 or something like that this last.
8: Right, year. right. They they, had, they are sold selling almost 100 percent now, and they probably Q4 probably close to 100 percent because they have a 44 thousand. This year. But next yeah. year, they have $54,000, but it's for the whole year, not for half a year. So uh, the, hedging, the percentage of hedged is much less. Yeah. It will be a lot, a lot of gold at spot price. And then if they increase the grade, they increase the mail output, so all these extra gold goes to spot. So I right. think that's, that's very potentially can be very profitable.
4: Yeah, and I'm not sure when they're going to work their hedge off. That's also an important issue. Do you have a handle on that? 2013,
8: I think, 2012, 2013. So it's a couple of years. Yeah, you no. Know, uh, but it's part of the credit facility. When they, when you borrow money, you have. Yeah,
4: uh, absolutely. That's that's the way it is. Almost always, uh, uh, companies do have to go that route. Well, uh, Roger, uh, would like you to comment a little bit. Also, uh, you just closed out with Trader Tracks, You closed out a very profitable silver trade, would you like to comment on that and, and also tell our listeners what you think uh, or what your targets are for silver and gold through the end of this year into next year?
9: Well, first of all, the targets this year, this morning, uh, December, uh, gold futures are $1,141 uh, for gold. Silver is or eighteen hundred $18.42. Uh, we're looking for a nearby top and a pause and then prices to go higher our next higher price on silver would be 2150 2250 uh into the first quarter of next year we're looking at uh, a potential for th- uh 1150 1160 in the nearby for gold uh, my original uh, idea was 1250 1260 I don't know if we're going to make it we're running out of time on the calendar however in the first quarter of next year, our forecast on gold is beyond the 1250, 1260. We are looking at 1325 to 1375, and that would be on the April futures contract.
0: Okay. So
9: the trend is definitely up. We're looking for a pause in the middle here. Uh, we've got holidays, and then off we go again. Now, getting on to the silver trade that we had, we recommended buying a silver spread uh, March contract for next year, this past June. Um, a few weeks ago, we sold half of it at 100% profit plus. Today, we took out the second leg at a profit of 275%. We then uh, turned right around and we bought uh, May 2010 uh, spreads for silver. Same price, 1450 to get in. We're looking for a max potential of 5000
4: Okay, Roger. Well, I'm going to have to cut you off because we're running out of time. That sounds great, folks, and you can learn more about Roger's work. You can uh, take a a trial subscription out by calling Chen. uh, I'm sorry, calling my my assistant, Claudio Bossi, uh, at seven one eight four five seven one four two six. That's seven one eight four five seven one four two six. Roger has a trial, a one month trial for forty nine dollars. You can try Chen Lin's excellent work as well, calling. Uh, Claudio Bossi, there's, a, there's a, a low price trial there, and for my letter as well, you can get a three month trial for fifty nine dollars. Next week, our special guest is Ian McDonald. He's been a gold bullion trader for some very large money center banks, and Ian is extremely bullish on the gold on the gold markets. He told me a week uh, last Friday, in fact, if gold should ever correct, it should have happened, but it isn't happening. We're going to hear what he has to say. So you won't want to miss next week's show with Ian McDonald to see what a what an inside trader thinks about the gold markets. Uh, It's time to close, unfortunately. We're out of time, and I want to thank my producer, uh, A.C. Trump. She's the senior executive producer. Ruben Colombe, my operations manager, and Travis Ortwin, my engineer. These people make this show logistically possible, and thanks to you for listening. You make it possible as well. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you.
3: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, the thing
2: about times, the time isn't really real.